Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for stopping by, Robert, with co-host R.G. Seal. And this show will focus on the Astros and Texans. We'll be back tomorrow with Rockets chatter, possibly a guest. So check that out. The NBA deadline is tomorrow at 2 p.m. So we're going to wait till the dust settles. Daryl Morey burning up phone lines and his data plan, I'm sure, as we're recording this. But R.G., the Astros unveiled their 2019 campaign slogan it's take it back wait isn't this what kids say on the playground at school come on polly take it back take it back <laughs> I, I, I just that made me laugh yeah the sandbox right now it's the astros and the red Sox, and going wrestling after that that trophy <laughs> take it take it back i don't know i guess i mean take it back i understand well, i mean a lot of people that we know you know they're already ready to fast forward to october so if you want to talk about little kids it's like are we there yet are we there yet because everybody wants to go to october and get october baseball and that excitement again yeah that's a good point it's a good, good point hey they unveiled their bobbleheads for this year i want to go through some of them because I, I want to get your favorite among these uh these are pretty good ones they have another game of thrones one the Star Wars one. No Game of Thrones. Or, no, this is better than all that stuff. This is, you got the uh, Bregman Stare bobblehead. Oh, that, yeah, that is a good one. Did, did they have it with uh, just Bregman or Bregman or the whole crew that it, they had that went viral? Oh, I wish it was the whole crew. That would have been great. How, how do you do that with a bobblehead, though? I mean, it's like there's too many to put on. a. I mean, you can't bobble a whole group of people. I've seen a few like where they have like a group like, you know, bobblehead, like especially when it's behind a desk. So they have like three or four figures, that type of deal. So maybe if they put them in a dugout with like a bench and did like a stair, but you're right. I mean, it'd be it'd be kind of, hey, but that could be a future collect all the, the stairs, the Astro stairs. You got the Springer thumbs up bobblehead. And I, this makes me think of the, do you remember this happened in the playoffs where the Astros are playing the Yankees and I, I, somebody, you know, there's Yankee fans start tweeting. Well, well, what's he doing? He's, you know, he's copying our thumbs up because apparently the Yankees were doing thumbs up that year. And I just, I tweeted to the guy like, like five pictures of Springer doing that after every single base hit. Well, they did the thumbs down. Remember because the Mets fan came to the Yankees part, did the thumbs down. So that was kind of their whole, like in 2017, actually. Was their oh whole yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. That's what it was. Cause they were, cause they thought they, he was mocking them. I'm like, dude, I thought he was mocking him. So the Yankees started doing that and they started winning Well, they were already winning, but that was kind of like a yeah motivating factor for them that to, to, to celebrate with the, the thumbs down sign. Yeah. And then the other one, of the bobbleheads is the Tony Kemp hugs for homers bobblehead. That's great. So yeah, there's some good ones. Which ones, any one of those your favorite? Probably the, the Bregman stare. I mean, how come on? Everybody's going to probably want, or a lot of people that was always such a big thing last year. And, and he's a popular player. I mean, all of them sound, sound good. So, uh, I mean, for the fans, I, they should probably do another ring day, but I guess they can't do that because those things seem to be extremely popular. They can still probably, uh, you know, get some days off the 2017 champions, right? How about the uh, Astros division champ? Take it back. Astros division champ, AL West. We got a ring for that? We get a ring for the AL West? Well, it used to be that you would have, like, I'm glad that the Astros kind of like, AL West banner or AL, you know, wild card winner. They kind of took those down and they're only putting up pennants and World Series banners. Remember, I mean, it used to be just kind of, you know, any win the division and all of that. But in baseball, really, in any kind of sport, and especially now we, we understand, you know, I mean, you win championships, that's what it's all about. So it's got to be at least a pennant or it's got to be a title, right? Where 
I mean, do you want to see the old wild card banners up there? No, no thanks. You put them in the new Astros Hall of Fame Museum. I mean, that's where you can put it. Oh, okay, the Astros won the division all these years, right? That's another thing. You walk into the 90s room in the early 2000s and, wow, look at all those banners for, you know, central titles in the National League. But, you know, right now, after you win a World Series, I mean, it gets you greedy for more. Take it back! <laughs> Well, since we uh, last spoke, the Astros signed lefty starter Wade Miley to a one-year $4.5 million deal. What did you think when you heard the news? Exactly kind of what the Astros needed. They needed to add a veteran presence to their rotation. I mean, we know we saw last year the young starters come up, like a Josh James, who was really electrifying and still could potentially be in the rotation. Then you had like a Framber Valdez. Uh, you know, so And the Astros have coming up this year – at some point, Forrest Whitley is going to be up there with the staff, whether as a starter or a reliever. You have a Corbin Martin. So you have these guys, these young, exciting pitchers, but you also want to have that mix of veteran starters because you don't know just going into the season what you're going to get from young starters, and they can be inconsistent. So definitely Wade Miley had a great year for the Brewers last year. I mean, his stats, he had a uh, 257 ERA, a whip one. Point two one and his uh, uh, baseball, um, excuse me, based on balls per nine, three three point oh one and strikeouts per nine, five point five eight. So I mean, he's on the lower. He's not, uh, you know, an overpowering pitcher. He throws his four seam fastball uh, about ninety two miles per hour. But he what he kind of revolutionized himself last year is with the cut fastball using his cutter, and he was by throwing that pitch, upping it to over forty percent. Of the time, I mean, that was really what gave him success with the Milwaukee Brewers. And remember, the Astros' ex-assistant GM is the GM with the Brewers, David Stearns. He, you know, they're so they're very analytics-oriented, and they do some of the same things that the Astros do, of course, where they they look and they and they see, you know, possibilities there, like what the Astros discovered with Charlie Morton when they got here there, and 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 got him to throw differently or use more of his pitches. And that's exactly what happened here. They realized that, Hey, you got to be able to use the cut fastball, use the cutter there, use it more. Don't rely on your fastball as much. And, and it was, ended up being a success for him. And another thing is he's, he's a left-handed pitcher. So the Astros, as we mentioned before, they have two hard throwing right-handers at the top of the rotation. It looks like they're probably losing Dallas Keuchel. I still think that's a very much a long shot that he comes back to the Astros. And he was your veteran left, Left-handed starter in there. Um, McHugh's back in the rotation now, right-hander. So to ha- add a lefty two to the mix, I think is very beneficial. The number that sticks out to me, RG, was what he did in the postseason last year in 14 and two-thirds innings. Uh, 1.23 RA, I mean, a 1.23 ERA is, you know, that's something that to me is a big deal because Miley's not some guy that, you know, anybody's like thinking of overpowering or crazy great arm that you would consider like, oh, this guy's going to dominate in the postseason. But, you know, he did. He had a great postseason last year, and and that's what you're looking for if you're the Astros is somebody that can handle that pressure and be able to do something there. Well, he does have the postseason experience. You're right. I mean, he went deep there last year with Milwaukee. And in fact, toward in the playoffs, he turned out to be their their best starter. And, uh, you know, he, he they they, of course, were a team that was built around the bullpen. They wanted to get it to Josh Hader. Uh, and there are other arms in the bullpen, but you know Wade Miley was that starter, and he he was he pitched effectively for him. But I think what is interesting with the Astros 
they have an incentive-laden contract for him, whether he makes appearances as a starter or as a reliever. So, you know, again, with the Astros, and if they end up bringing in another starter, and and and, and in case they call up one of their young players, or, you know, Wade Miley is another guy like a Colin McHugh, like a Brad Peacock that can switch between the bullpen and the starting rotation. It's weird because, you know, you said he, he had uh, all these starts in the postseason last year. I think it was four starts, but, you know, he wasn't going a lot of innings in those starts. Well, in fact, one game, it was just a decoy. He came out there for a batter and basically left. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you have four starts and only 14, you know, two thirds, that's not a lot. <laughs> not a lot at all. You know, uh, one of the things I was looking at also, RG, is just big picture for the Astros because they still you you would think they need a catcher and they're still looking for somebody and the name that always we, we've talked about and everybody's talking about is the JT Real Muto from the Marlins and the rumors keep popping up about him but you know I'm not hearing the Astros this much uh, you know it looks like the Phillies at the they're at the forefront according to Yahoo Sports uh, with uh, right behind them maybe the Dodgers Reds Padres and Braves so I think JT Real Muto look he's a he's a very He's maybe the best catcher in the game right now, so he's going to command a lot. And the Astros, every everything that I've seen is they wanted either uh, Forrest Whitley or Kyle Tucker, which is pretty much a, a non-starter for the Astros. So I don't know what other trade packages they're looking at or what other teams are are offering. And and the Padres, I've read of late, have kind of emerged as one of the front runners for JT Real Muto. They have the top farm system in the game. So and I and they have ten prospects on on I believe MLB.com's top one hundred prospect list. So if if the Marlins look in last year's Christian Yelich trade, they ended up trading away the National League MVP. They probably felt that they didn't get enough for him and for John Carlos Stanton going to the Yankees. That was basically a salary dump. So this time they have a guy who's a prize catcher who's got two years remaining and everybody there's plenty of teams that want him that are in, involved in the bidding so it just makes it more difficult for the Astros to execute a, a trade when you have all these other teams with multiple prospects that can also you know entice the Marlins and they don't want to just you know get robbed in this in this trade they definitely want to get top tier talent so if you're the Astros you're going to have to give away several prospects there or you know maybe just throwing the chips on one of your top prospects. It's not, if it's not Forrest Whitley, cause they, they made him untouchable. Do you give away Kyle Tucker and some other prospects and that for the Astros, they might be thinking, you know, there's might be some guys who become available during the season as a catcher that we're not even thinking about right now. And so if, you know, Robinson Chirnos and, and Max Stassi, they don't work out. Well, the Astros can go in another direction there and get somebody else and, and not have to pay the high price that they would have to for JT Realmoto. He's kind of the Anthony Davis, isn't he, of, of baseball? That's right? what I was kind of thinking. Yeah, exactly. That, that, that good analogy, because, I mean, the Marlins are in the position, just like the New Orleans Pelicans with uh, Anthony Davis, they're in the position to kind of say, OK, we have this asset. We have this. We don't have to trade him now. We can wait until the middle of the season. We can wait until next offseason because he still has two years remaining on a contract. And so, you know, give us your best deal. We're not, you know, we're not on the gun here to trade him. So this could go. I mean, they probably will trade him before the season starts because you never know about injuries or if he has a, an off year and then you, you know, you lose value on it. But, you know, they might wait until the spring, you know, spring training and see what kind of other needs develop or what kind of how rosters are shaping up and, and they can deal them then. All right, so Major League Baseball and the Players Association, they're discussing some major rule changes, and I want to hit you, RG, with uh, 
these rule changes one at a time. See what you think. Uh, three batter minimum for pitchers. I love this. You know, this is like right up my alley. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, this would, if you're talking about like, we've all watched baseball games of late. And of course, you know, Tony La Russa was kind of the master of this. And then you've seen a, a lot of other managers that uh, love to bring in reliever after reliever, i.e. the Dodgers, <laughs> watching Dodger games. And it's just like, you know, one after the other matchups and, uh, uh, you know, come in for one batter and then leave, you know. And and so this would make it this would make it a lot more interesting. I don't know what you think about this, but also, you know, we've seen a decline in, with with starters. It would make starters more valuable in a sense, because, you know, if you if you remove for a reliever, have to come in for three, three batters. You're not just one batter anymore. I'm kind of mid- so maybe, you know, again, this could kind of you're not if you're Tampa Bay, do you start off with an opener? you know, that you only use for the, you know, you, you have to use for three batters instead of one batter and then lift them out and or however they want to finagle it. I mean, it's just, it gives you more options, I think, for your, you, to have a, to have a good starter or a guy who can go multiple innings of a pitcher's pitching well. So, because a lot of times it would have been like, okay, want to take out this pitcher because this batter's coming up and then I can go to another reliever after that. Well, now if you're a manager, you have to think, well, I have to have him for three consecutive batters. It might be two left-handers and one right-hander. Just makes it, maybe I'll just stick with the starter here. Or maybe I'll just stick with the reliever that I already have in to get through this. So it, it makes it more interesting. Plus, it slows down the pace of the game because those continual out to the mound, talk to the pitcher, then go back to the dugout, then remove the pitcher and the time it takes for the pitcher to come into the game. And you have this, this is why, uh, you know, baseball drags on so for so long. Right. And I I think the one thing you, you got to be concerned about is fake injuries. So to me, you know, these a blister all of a sudden comes up and we got to bring the guy out. And that's why when I talked about so a rule like this, I said, you know, if you, if you get an injury, you're disqualified for the next two games. You know, I mean, that, if you come out for an injury, you're out for the next two games. So is it, that's, you're going to have to consider all that. Cause there's going to be that sort of stuff. The next thing was a universal DH. And I know you're a big bunning fan, RG. So I, I, I'm sure you would mourn the death of the, uh, the pitcher. <laughs> I mean, actually, I look. I prefer National League ball. ball. I, I, you know, no bones about it. I've, I've talked to you this about this before. I mean, I've gradually grown because of the Astros being in the American League, winning a title in the American League, and seeing the DH and all of that. And I, you know, I do enjoy that. But I mean, I, I would miss out on the strategy that comes with N- National League games. But at the same time, I mean, it, it is also now that you have, you know playing 162 games where you have both the national league and the American leagues playing every single day against one, one, one another, you know, I mean, national league teams haven't built their roster, you know, around a, a DH and, and so in American league rosters, you know, they, they have. So, I mean, it's different when you, when you face one another and, you know, a lot of players don't like the fact that, you know, you go into ballparks, let's say in September and you're a National League team and you have to play American, you know, league style ball for for a weekend series. So, I mean, it would just make it more equitable uh, if every team adopted. Yeah, and, and, and it works vice versa, too. I mean, it, to me, it just I mean, come on, it's, it's a sport. Why don't we have the same rules for everybody? And for God's sakes, you know, we want to see more Evan Gaddis's, right? Don't we? 
don't we see we want to see the big man with the beard all over the place and, and all, playing all the parks right. although I, I will say now with the dh it's a little bit different than the paul bunyan yeah the softball player type uh, evan gaddis type I, it seems like dh positions being utilized more for hey give a guy a day of rest here we'll move him into the dh spot or move this person into the dh spot remember how many uh, games last year tony kemp i mean he's not your prototypical dh but he would he would play dh for the astros so i mean you you have you have that as well. I'm just saying I would mourn the loss because so many there's so many things about strategizing for a National League game. When you, well, should we take the pitcher out? You know, who's starter, who's pitching very well because his his orders coming up in the lineup, and so then we have to you know double switches and you know or, or you know thinking about like you know in, in, in tight contests you know how how you manage your bullpen with National League style ball, style ball because the pitcher spot will be ultimately be coming up so you got to be thinking about pinch hitters and it it expands the bench cuz more players have to play more of your 20 but you know on a on American League roster you can just go the whole game you know hold on hold on before you get on the roster thing that's another part of this deal is there's an expansion of rosters to 26 men with a 12 pitcher maximum so you know even with the dh you know they're going to try to add another roster spot and i think it's sort of to placate you know the players as much as possible and say hey look we we know we're asking some stuff from you so let's let's add another guy to the roster and i you know i I got no problem with that i like that well yeah i would like to have the additional i mean we especially seen with the astros not when they were the 2013 astros and we got how are they going to field a a team of players for this team that's going to lose you know over 100 games but when you have a really great club and you have these decisions make like wow you know again getting back to like a tony kemp can we can put him on the roster can you have a uh, kyle tucker on the roster too it's like it creates that additional roster spot with 26 you're right there and i think also with the pitchers if they make it to where it's I was one thing that I still want to see is in September. It's when you have the expanded rosters, you can maybe bring up as many people as possible, but only make 26 eligible for that particular game. So in other words, like what the NBA does, you know, where you have it and you say these players are eligible for tonight's game. Yeah, you get 15, I think, in the NBA that are uh, on the roster, but only 12 are available in a particular night. Exactly. But like, remember when they expand rosters and like, so if you're the New York Yankees and have a huge budget and you want to call up, you know, and have 35 players sitting on your bench and available for a game in, in September or whomever, you know, I mean, just say using the Yankees as an example of organization. Well, you know, you're going up against a team that might have 15 bullpen arms out there in September, which is critical time. You know, it, it really is kind of unfair against a team that might not have called up for whatever reason as many players or they're playing out the string or they only want to see two or three of their players so they don't have the amount of arms late in the game and this is in september so uh you know that's that's why i think that that's something that they uh, baseball still needs to address if they're gonna you know be tinkering around with the roster is is what to do with september baseball i love most of these and this one's good too i think uh the next one a a single trade deadline before the all-star trade all-star break just one trade deadline rg any argument with that yeah although uh (laughs) before the all-star game i would want to push back later because remember the single trade i mean remember with justin verlander how he became an astro it was the going through the waiver period and nobody claimed him because of his huge contract and the Astros get him August 30th and win a championship from that. So I'm, again, I'm a little bit more old school on that, but I understand. I would just, if you're going to do some kind of like singular trade deadline where you get rid of the, the waiver process there and do that, I would do it more like mid to late August, especially now with so many teams. But I think 
what the reason they would want to do this and they want to do it earlier is, you know, this avoids the, you know, the massive sell-offs and the, I mean, it, it kind of, it's working a little bit with the whole tanking idea. That's the, what I'm gathering with the single trade deadline, a big part of it too. But I, I, I'm saying I, I can go with a single trade deadline. I would just prefer to push it back because there's so many teams that, I mean, again, end of July, you don't know if you're in it or you're out of it. You might be around 500. Do you decide to go for it or do you decide to sell? We've seen like first two or three weeks of August, then team either, you know, plays great or plays badly and they're out of it. So that's when, you know, again, you have the process and then going through waivers, I don't know. That's one of the things that I'd have to look at and examine more to see about changing. The next one, 20-second pitch clock. Hopefully we both agree on this, right? I know you want it as quick as possible. You probably want a five-second pitch clock. Yeah, that'd be great. Five-second pitch clock. I can get get to bed early and you know all that. Draft advantages for winning teams and penalties for losing teams. Again, tanking, I think. That's a tanking deal. And that's something that, that Major League Baseball is having to evaluate. I'm not sure at this stage they're going to do something like that, maybe. I mean, but you're, you're seeing that around – like you're seeing that in the NBA. You're seeing that in – but it, now especially acute Major League Baseball. And you can thank the Astros for that too because they're a, a team that took advantage of that all within the rules, I might say. So I'm not saying the Astros – they were just the, the the they saw ahead and they said, you know, we're going to lose. We're going to acquire draft pick. And they were also a very astute and smart organization. They built their their farm system and their roster through doing this. And you could also make bad decisions where it totally blows up in your face. The Astros eventually ended up winning a World Series from it. But I think that Major League Baseball wants to get away from the fact of having all of these teams saying basically, well, we're either in it to win this year or if not, we're throwing it away and saying, no, we're just going to lose for the next three or four years and uh, get the top five draft picks and build up our farm system and be terrible and, you know, there are just too many teams doing that. So there's got to be some incentives that they're trying to think of right now to or disincentives for the for that, whatever, depending on your perspective there. Yeah, I don't know about draft advantages for winning teams as much, but penalties for losing teams to me makes a lot of sense. They also are thinking about or looking at maybe a study to lower the mound. This looks like it's going after strikeouts. And yeah, that's that's maybe I mean, I I could see that. But you're going to. You know, if you like the hundred mile an hour fastball, it's gonna it's gonna eat into that a little bit, I would think, if you lowered the mound. Remember the mound was high in the nineteen sixties and they lowered the mound and it kind of changed the way the the but I don't know. The to me again, a lot of this is more just to like it's food for thought. It's to get the talks or conversation started. But you notice like in the National Football League, they have no problem with changing rules, with changing the game, with doing drastic maneuvers. But baseball, it's a tradition. That's how I'm doing the almost doing the uh, the George Carlin thing here. Baseball's safe, you know. Uh I mean, they're really the it's very hard. I'm a I'm a traditionalist purist. And, you know, that's how I like to watch the game. But it's been very hard to see, you know, changes pushed at, at me with Major League Baseball wise. But at the same time, it's becoming a problem to sit through three and a half and four hour games. The pace of play does need to be sped up. There need to be changes implemented for the 21st century, attract a younger audience to do those things. So I think that it's good to have these conversations starting now between both the owners and the players and, and coming to some kind of agreement to make the game more fulfilling for fans. And if people don't know, RG has been petitioning baseball for years to 
go back to just day games and he wants uh, those little small gloves that they used to wear, wear. Those were great. I mean, I don't know. Not quite but, that, uh, but I, I mean, I, I do, like I said, I like National League ball, but, uh, but yeah, I've grown accustomed to American League ball. So, I mean, you make changes and, you know, you adapt to it, right? So, I mean, if there are going to be changes and everybody's playing by the same rules, then you, you go with it. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I want to see like the Charlie Finley, you know, change the color of the baseballs and you know, metal bats or anything crazy like that. I still like the traditions of major league baseball with wooden bats. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't see the metal bats coming back any, <laughs> anytime soon, but spe- speaking of traditional baseball, just a re- reminder, in case you missed it, I put up a podcast this week celebrating Jackie Robinson, who turned 100 or who would have turned 100, of course, this past week, if he was still around and in our more than five years as a podcast, we've had the privilege to interview two former big leaguers who played with Jackie and one who played against him. When you go back and listen to that uh, podcast, you'll hear former Brooklyn Dodgers, handsome ransom Jackson and Bob Aspermani. Of course, that's also an original Astro Aspro, the Astro. They're going to share memories of playing with Jackie. Also ex Houston, buff Larry Miggins who played against Robinson in his very first game with the Dodgers organization. You know, just extraordinary memories. I don't know how, you know, in his 90s, still has memories from that game. Plus, uh, Greg Lucas explains how his friend Hall of Famer Monty Irvin almost broke the color barrier before Robinson. You'll also hear a piece of an extraordinary conversation, this little addition here, with Jackie himself right before he passed away in 1972. You're going to want to listen to that. Even if you have been listening to us for a long time, you might forget, you know, all these connections that we had to Jackie. It's kind of cool. Before we knock around the Super Bowl, and the Texans, we need to wish our former guest, Adam Everett, a happy 42nd birthday this week. A couple of years ago, I asked Adam about his favorite Astros memories. Here's a little bit of that conversation. What's the memories that kind of stick out from you from that time? Oh, man. Uh, you know, just getting over the hurdle. You know, in 04, we finally won the first series, playoff playoff series in the history of the Astros. And then 05, we go to the World Series. And just to be a part of the excitement here and how excited these fans were to watch us play and come and you know the whether the roof was open or closed but you know there it was always packed and you know that's more than anything just driving into the ballpark and you remember those things you remember the fans being outside and going yeah I can remember driving in and you know the the third game of the world series and you know just being a part of it and and you know the great game four that we played here against the cardinals in 05 to uh the double play that we turned. I mean, it's it's all the memories come back. Just to, to smell the grass, to smell the stadium, everything. It's it's you know it's home. Great stuff from the old Astros vacuum at shortstop. Adam Everett's now forty-two years old. It seems like he's been out of baseball for ages. Meanwhile, forty-one-year-old Tom Brady just keeps winning Super Bowls. RG, our friend John McClain, our good friend, said. The Super Bowl wasn't throw back football. It was throw up football. Uh, <laughs> feels like we finally found something the entire nation could agree on. Man, that game stunk. Yeah, I mean, I know you're just so that it's it's finally seeing a Boston team win, you know, and a team that I mean, that was just in the Super Bowl last year, but they lost. So for them to come back and, and get a win, it just must have been exciting for you because I mean, how many times has Boston won a championship recently? So, oh, it's so I'm just so glad that something went right for Tom Brady after all these years. You know, the guy just couldn't <laughs> catch a break, you know, and he finally catches a break. And apparently, you know, he just found this supermodel just recently, I understand. So he's got that as well. I mean, well, I mean, I will say I, I, 
all honesty, guy's great to watch as far as on a football field. I mean, it's been amazing over his career, and it looks like he's not going to stop with this as far you know as a Super Bowl. He didn't have one of his great games, but again, you know, Tom Grady in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl, being able to take a team down the field, throw the perfect pass to Rob Gronkowski, set up a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, the guy just does it over time. I mean, he's performed in the clutch. He has six rings now, six titles. I mean, it's pretty incredible and has been to nine Super Bowls. So New England, you just have to tip your cap to them. They've been pretty phenomenal after all yeah, these years. I don't have to tip my cap to them if I don't well, want I, to. I mean, they're a dynasty. I just that over the last 20 years, what they've been able to accomplish, uh, I, mean, I do. You know, as far as the game itself, yeah, it was meant. But somebody did mention, though, I would probably have to agree with this, at least from a game standpoint, it was still in the balance in the fourth quarter. While like, a, you know, especially like when we were growing up, a lot of the games in the 80s and early 90s, everything. I mean, they were over after the first quarter, you know, and what you were going to do the rest of the game, you know, what uh, just wait for the round for the commercials and the halftime show. Well, I mean, that's been with Tom Brady since his, for every Super Bowl he's been at. They've been I mean, that's the one thing I, I will grant. Is that right. he's made the Super Bowls exciting. But I guess with the Rams here, too, I mean, it could have been better as well there. But, I mean, the the Rams missed a few opportunities. I mean, Jared Goff didn't have a sharp passing game. This was a, a highly prolific offense. Wade Phillips, the Houstonian, we all know very well, son of Bum Phillips, that everything had a great game plan against the Patriots, actually. Yeah, but- that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. Because in two Super Bowls now, Wade Phillips' defense— He's given up a grand total of 23 points. So Wade Phillips in the big game has come up big, big, big. But RG, I wish Wade had figured out the Patriots offense was when he was with the Texans. That'd been nice. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I mean, uh, all in retrospect here. But, I mean, he's uh, – look, Wade Phillips is one of the best defensive court. He was when he was the Texans, you know, which is the, having the personnel and, you know, learning more as he you – know, the guy oh, – I mean, he's – knows a lot about defenses, but you know, as far as like making adjustments over the course of his career, but I, I really feel like also to the Rams just missed opportunities in that game. You know, for whatever reason, Gurley seemed injured. He, he wasn't the same player at the end of the season. So when you have to rely, like Bill Belichick said, okay, the running game's not going to beat us. They're not going to rush for the yards that they did against the saints. So you're going to have to Jared Goff. You're going to have to throw the ball and beat us. And Jared Goff wasn't sharp. I mean, I mean, you got to look. Their last two games, they scored less than thirty points total, and they were scoring thirty points, you know, all year long. That's Gurley easily, and and Gurley was a big factor in that. But also, you know, Cooper Cup, their Kiki QT right, has been right. gone. You, no, you're right. You're right. Cooper Cup too. That's you know the most consistent receiver. So right, him being out. But I mean, saying the running game sets up the pass. You know, so that's if Gurley is I mean, when he's at his top, he might be the best running back in the NFL. So, you know, to not have him or to use him very little and then put everything on Jared Goff. I mean, that's what happened in the Super Bowl. And you know, and they had a couple. I mean, Brandon Cooks, he drops it. You know, I mean, I know defensive player makes it when the ball hits the middle of your chest. Shouldn't you catch it? You got your arms around it. No, it's in the I mean, that's chest. yeah. That, again, yeah, the, the, the Patriots got a break there. But of course, they you know, you could go back to the giant Super Bowl where the, you know, the helmet catch and the. No, no, I'm not saying I mean, the Patriots are the better team to deserve to win. Ultimately, I'm just saying it could have been a closer game. It could have been here or there. You never know. Kind of. thing. Oh, and, of course, it's football. It's, you know, when you have games that are that close for sure. But right. 
Uh, you know, Julian Edelman wins the MVP. And, and you know, I'm, here I, again, I've got to congratulate Boston. They have cornered the market. RG on cheaters who win Super Bowl and World Series MVPs. We'll go with David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, Julian Edelman. <laughs> so, yeah, congratulations, Boston. Uh, <laughs> hey, we got some uh, Texans news this week. How long have we been waiting for Bill O'Brien, RG, to hire an offensive coordinator? He, he finally did it. And what innovative organization with crazy new ideas did Bill O'Brien come up with for offensive coordinator? Uh, how about Tim Kelly? Where, where's he from again, Archie? <laughs> what what organization? Yeah, he's been Bill O'Brien's got a right-hand man for a while, right? We've heard that before. Although, what do you think of having done the Locked On Texans podcast? What do you think of Carl Smith coming back as a QB or coming to the organization as a quarterback coach? I mean, Bill O'Brien seemed excited about that. I mean, you can talk about Tim Kelly, but uh, also Carl Smith, who had been kind of mentoring and uh, been with Seattle, so with Russell Wilson. What what do you think that that means for him coming in as part of the organization too? Yeah, no, I definitely was going to bring that up because you know Tim Kelly, you know, like you were talking about, six years with the Texans, five years with the Texans. I think uh, more years than that with Bill O'Brien. He was the tight ends coach. He was defensive coach at Penn State before uh, on the defensive side of the ball more uh, when he was a, a little bit younger. But you know, there's that new guy that. Uh, might be in Carl Smith that might be able to give you something that you didn't have, like some new ideas. He spent the last eight years in Seattle with Russell Wilson, you know, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. That sounds like a pretty good fit. And, you know, he worked with Pete Carroll. Uh, you know, he, he is a former Patriots assistant, but uh, big, big change for uh, O'Brien. He was not a Belichick guy. He's pre Belichick 97 through 99 he's got a little bit of a browns stench to him for a couple of years but hopefully that's got washed off over last year's with the seahawks but yeah carl smith to me that's the 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 headliner that's the big hire for them really i want to ask you this too how much do you think that bill o'brien's going to relinquish control here because one of the things that they said with carl smith coming in he could also help out with play calling or bringing in some some new ideas. Yeah, Obi talked about it because, yeah, he had quotes. But then what about with Tim Kelly? How much is Bill O'Brien with Tim Kelly and Carl Smith? How much is he still going to be calling play? Yeah, no, 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 I'm get to that because, yeah, he talked about it and, and he, he was quoted. I mean, Bill O'Brien said it's well, the way we usually do this. It's not one guy. He says there's, you know, everybody thinks it's one guy. He goes, it's a it's a, a lot of times it's it's different guys calling different plays depending on, you know, what's going on and all that sort of stuff. In the end, just like every head coach, I mean, I mean, I heard on sports radio today, they're talking about it and saying, oh, my goodness, you know, you know, they're quoting Bill O'Brien and saying he's just he's obviously he's going to have the last every coach has the last say, especially if that's their thing. If they were offensive guy, that's the thing. They're going to have the last say. Don't think Andy Reid doesn't have the last say, you know, don't think that Bill, o Bill Belichick doesn't have the last say in what goes on over there. But you know, he's saying that it, it's it's a very much a process of a, a number of different guys. So I'm sure Carl Smith's going to have some say in this. Tim Kelly's going to have some say. Bill O'Brien's going to have some say in what they call. My my main concern is, you know, is Bill O'Brien, is he going to get any better at, like, watching everything else that's going on with the game? That You know, I don't know if that's going to really change. Does that change? Does he all of a sudden, like, know when to call a timeout, when to throw a challenge flag? Is he, like, is he zoomed in on the game? 
Or is he zoomed in on, oh, my God, I got to figure out what the next – am I going to run a sweep Well, that's right? why I'm wondering. I mean, again, it gets back to – you can say everybody contributes or everybody makes the call. But, I mean, face it, it's Bill O'Brien's probably got to okay whatever comes through there. How much is he going to delegate here? How much is he going to say this, you know, take over for me? I need to concentrate more on head coaching duties. We still don't know. Yeah. I mean, like I said, Carl Smith, new quarterback coach uh, with eight years somewhere else, another – brain in the room that is maybe thought of things in a different way than OB. That's a good thing. You know, that's, that's what I will say about the whole process without being there. Sometimes you got to just be in the room and you got to be on the sideline and you got to be in the huddle to know exactly what's going on and who's, you know, contributing what to what, but you know, we'll, we'll see Uh, last week, by the way, we found out Brian Cushing returning as an assistant strength and conditioning coach. They make that official this week. Uh, TJ Yates and Akeem Dent, they're back. Yates is an offensive assistant, Dent as a defensive assistant. RG, seems like Cushing and Yates, you know, they're like those Texans boomerangs. You try to toss them as far as you can, but they come right back to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Cushing's one of the, I mean, really, isn't he one of the great all-time Texans? I mean, I know he had the overtraining and the, the PED use and all that, but still, I mean, he was one of the, the bigger stars of the organization for many years, so... Uh, to have him back in the fold and coaching that's he was a face but I don't think he was really a star after the second leg surgery and I don't think he was much above below average let me put it that way he was below well but average. I'm saying for a good portion of his Texans career he was rookie of the year he had a lot of national attention I mean J.J. Watt arrived there and everything and kind of you know, stole a thunder on defense but it was J.J. Watt and Brian Cushing at linebacker you know and then like you said second knee injury and he wasn't he was a shell of him former self but for a while I mean that's why the Texans gave him the huge contract he was one of the signature players on the franchise yeah i guess if you mean by a while like it was maybe three years because in you know his first three years were 09 10 and 11 and he played 16 12 and 16 games in those three seasons but then after that uh you know he gets hurt 2013 plays seven games uh then in 2014 uh or 2012 he plays five games 2013 he plays seven games and then that, you know, that was it 14, 16 and 13 his last three years. But, you know, the numbers were nothing extraordinary. I mean, this best season, he did have more than 100 tackles in 2015. I'm just saying for the organization like a Texans for a franchise. I mean, this guy was one of the most visible, recognizable, yeah, visible like a, players. Yeah. And he had, you know, he won rookie of the year and he had all pro selections and stuff. So he he's one of the, you know, you look back in the annals of texas history or texans history you'll you'll see brian cushing's name there for sure as one of the best defensive players that ever come through the organization but it's always going to be tainted by those ped uh suspensions no no all pros but he did have a pro bowl but you know lamar miller had a pro well, bowl. I, I mean so i meant pro bowl matt schaub had a pro bowl so what what do you, you know but uh I, I don't know but yeah cushing and akeem dent you know akeem dent's back to I know that gets uh, everybody excited. Uh, just uh, any, anything else, Archie, before we take off? Well, what do you think the Texans now that you're talking about? I've been going into the offseason here. What do you kind of think are the big things on the agenda for them both gearing up for free agency and the draft? The question is, you know, what do you do with free agency? Like who 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 do you honestly are, are you real interested in getting? Because it's it's more about going after specific players. You know, I, I said on Lockdown Texans a number of times, running backs are guys you can find in free agency and cheaply. 
So, you know, to me, go after a running back. I mean, I'd love to, to for them to go after Le'Veon Bell. It doesn't seem like a Texan move, but that would be the guy that could change the entire thinking in terms of Texans fans. Oh, we got Le'Veon. We have a real running back. We've got somebody that now takes pressure off Deshaun Watson. You know, immediate uh, immediate impact that somebody like a Le'Veon Bell could have. He's a three-down back. That's the other thing. He can block. He can catch passes. You know, he's not just a running back. He can do a number of things. So to me, running back would be a big part of what I would look for in free agency. If you can find a cornerback at a reasonable price, I would do it. But I would really focus on cornerback and offensive line in the draft because those guys do not come cheaply in free agency. Uh, I I don't think they need a whole whole lot of help at linebacker. The most important thing for them as far as free agency is, honestly, Jadavian Clowney. You know, you got to lock him down. Do you think you lock him down or do you uh, just franchise him for one more year and maybe maybe let him go? I I just don't see them franchising him. I I think it's going to come down to they're going to give him a contract, but you just front load it. You front load it so it's out of the picture by the time Deshaun Watson and free agency comes around. And some of the maybe some of the other guys that you've got to pay, you know, if you get some guys that are worth paying. But look, uh, Jadavian Clowney, you know, I I put up his numbers. I put this up on Twitter, and it's important to note his numbers were. If you look the last two years, they're very, very, very similar to Khalil Mack. I mean, would you believe that if you listen to people, RG, that 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 you know he's somebody that's like really similar to Khalil Mack? I didn't. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, maybe going over the last two years, uh, but this past season, I mean, uh, Khalil Mack was, again, one of the great defensive players in the NFL. Not to say that J.J. Even Clowney isn't, but this season he was maybe overshadowed by the return of J.J. Watt and playing so spectacularly. The reason I say they're similar to Khalil Mack is what what people get is they get caught up in sack numbers. And those are not always how you judge a a guy like uh, Jadavian Clowney because he's been such great... Um, you know, he's been so great against the run. And I mean, if you look at sacks plus tackles for losses, Clowney has 55 and a half compared to Cleo Mack with 48. Well, both, both result in, you know, loss of yardage. I mean, it's the same result. You know, you lose yards in the scorebook. It looks the same tackles uh, in the last two years, Clowney 106, Mack 125. So he's got a slight edge there. QB hits though. Clowney with 42, Mack with 40. He's pressuring the quarterback. He's got more there. Force fumbles, he has three. Mack has seven, but uh, Clowney's got two touchdowns to zero from uh, Khalil Mack. Fumble recoveries, they're equal at six each over the last two years. So you look at the numbers, they're it's real similar. So, I mean, just it's something for people to think about. Uh, last thing I just want to bring up, uh, because uh, – uh, might have been missed by some people, but a little sad news for you old school Oiler, Oilers fans. Uh, the passing of Glenn Ray Hines was this past week. He he made two AFL All-Star games, the equivalent to Pro Bowls for the Oilers back in 68 and 69. He was an offensive lineman for the Oilers from 66 to 70 and won a college national championship for Arkansas with his fellow lineman, Jerry Jones. You might have heard of Jerry Jones before. He also was on that team with former Rice Owl head coach Ken Hatfield. Hatfield was also a member of that team as a defensive back on that Razorback National Championship team uh, back in uh, 64, I believe it was. But really interesting. Uh, Glenn Ray Hines passes away last Friday at the age of 75. So formal oiler for those that remember back in the 60s anyway. 
That's all we got for this one, though. Uh, we're going to hit on the basketball stuff, Rockets, uh, you know, just everything that's gone on in the last few days with the trades and, you know, just so much is happening. But we're going to we're going to hit that in tomorrow's show. So uh, listen for that. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for RG. And we'll talk to you again really, really soon. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. Give us a five-star review on iTunes when you get the chance and tell your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.